Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have found a way to make a living doing what they love. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Rob. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Very good. It's uh, beautiful now that all the snow has melted. So I would say about nine out of every 10 times we start the show, I trigger Siri on my phone. <laughs> Ooh, that's interesting. Is that because of my name? <laughs> Hey, Sarah, mm, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just did it yeah. again. Um, being named Sarah blows. <laughs> like, uh, for, for Siri reasons or beyond? No, it's just like everybody's name is that. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, hey, girl. <laughs> you know, that's how it yeah. comes across. Like people <laughs> yell Sarah, I don't turn around. And then on the one in 10 times, they actually mean me. I feel like a real idiot. I can see that. You should uh, give yourself a nickname. Oh, I think you're the only person in the world who ever did give me a nickname. What was that nickname? <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, stretch. You called that's me right. Stretch. That's right. Okay. That's the one <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of. Well, now, yeah. you, now everyone knows one of my bank security questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what nickname did your jerk older brother give you when you were in middle school? <laughs> and you had a growth spurt and you did look weird. <laughs> What are older brothers for? <laughs> but to make you feel self-conscious yeah. in key low moments of your life. Yeah, that's okay. You didn't say like braces or too thick of bangs. <laughs> <laughs> Those were options yeah. I chose not to go I with. appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thanks for that. You're the only person mm -hmm. who ever gave me a nickname. I don't think I can make that one work anymore somehow. I don't think it'll take off. So I'm going to just keep responding to everybody who says Siri or Sarah. Or sir, which is always weird. Oh, yeah. People say like, sir, and it sounds a lot like Sarah. And then I turn around and they're like, oh, but she looked like a lady. <laughs> uh. <sighs> Hard times. Mm -hmm. So pricing is what we're going to talk about. Yes, we are going to talk about pricing. We've, we've talked about money a lot, but never from the context of what we should charge. Yes, this my, this is on my mind a lot right now. So I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing what you do because you you have my ideal situation. I mean, you're you're always like tinkering with it, but you know most of your clients are on a subscription type model, so you're able to project and plan, which I think most freelancers don't have and aspire to. So, Sensei, tell us how do you do this? Yeah, <laughs> Sensei, <laughs> you wax on. You wax on. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't uh, so. I, I'm comfortable in this space because of, I guess, my management roles previously that I, I kind of got to do this, you know, for lack of a better term on someone else's dime for some number of years working with on client work and establishing pricing. So it doesn't make me feel as nervous. Um, and, and there is some piece of that that's really as a freelancer is it's much more hefty, <laughs> heavy, um, because it's, you know, you're, you're negotiating or, or, uh, dealing with money that will like almost a hundred percent end in your pocket in some form or fashion. So it's not like just the agency's money or, um, someone else's money that you're dealing with. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's certainly a hard thing, I think. And even I, like you mentioned, I'm always kind of tinkering and dealing with the different aspects or AB testing, kind of different models to see what works best. And so I have a myriad of, of thoughts um, about it from that perspective. So for background, and we've mentioned it before, but like, tell me about your book of business and 
when people pay and how long they're committed for generally and when their contracts are up. Yeah. So for me, I, I work almost exclusively off of like retainer agreements, as you alluded to. Um, those are usually six or 12 months um, at a time. And so um, I often will start with a six month term for new clients so that we can get comfortable with one another. And then uh, at this point in my business, that would renew into 12 month terms, um, assuming I want to do that. Uh, for some of my clients, I've allowed them to stay six month terms because I don't want to be committed to them for 12 months either. You know, sure. it's kind of a two way street. So, um, what happens if they, uh, cancel that if they decide to stop using you earlier than six or 12 months or whatever they're committed to? Yeah. So, um, it kind of depends on the client. One thing we'll talk about in a future episode when we talk about the contracts we use, but one of, um, one of the elements of my contract, uh, and it goes along the lines of, I, I can only, I only have so much capacity, you know, as a one person show. And so when I have a, a client sign a 12 month deal with me, I'm, I'm carving out 12 months of my capacity for them. So if, if they uh, break that agreement early, um, there's a financial penalty for them doing that. And that's, it's a percentage of, of the expected revenues, uh, from the point in which they in, in the agreement early. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, that's so brilliant. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> I had a really good attorney help me craft it. Oh, um, so smart. And that was you. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, it's, and, and so that's, that's actually probably that is in my agreements. I, I do have agreements. I have uh client signed. So uh, I take that part of it very seriously. And so the pricing and the terms and the, um, uh, the terms as far as payment terms and the terms as far as the contract length are all very clearly dealt with up front. And, um, but that allows me to look ahead and, and, um, I was telling you right before we recorded the show, I already have, um, a real strong start to 2019 and we're, you know, two and a half months away from that. Um, but I've, I've got enough revenue projected out into next year that, um, you know, I have, I feel really good about 2019 already. And, and it's a luxury as a freelancer for me to be able to look that far in, in the future and feel good about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I think one of the kind of foundational questions we get to is when we start talking about pricing is like, how do we establish what our pricing should be? Um, and a fundamental level, I guess, even before that, perhaps is how do we want to build? Do you know, are we building by the hour? Mm -hmm. Are we building by the, the project? Are we building in a retainer fashion like me? Um, and then once we kind of have a, a feel for what, you know, how we want to approach that, then it's establishing what the rate is. And I think that's where a lot of people often get tripped up. Um, I will say that a lot of freelancers I meet with come into this conversation, just defaulting to billing by the hour. Um, just, I think that's just kind of common in most people's minds and it's kind of, a it, you know, what we're talking about today is really complicated and it's kind of stressful and wrapping your mind around it is, is not easy. And so one of the easiest ways to deal with it is just bill by the hour. Cause then you, you kind of don't have to think about all the other stuff. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the, the, the most simple mechanism to, um, to use. And, um, what I've found is, is that often, you know, causes, uh, for a lot of creative folks, uh, causes you to leave money on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, because what the value of what you're doing is often a lot greater than the number of hours it takes. Um, and especially if you're 
you know, further up in your career and you've, you've been doing it for some number of years and you're, you're really good at it and you know where the road mines are to, you know, to avoid, um, road mines, road mines, mine. No, (laughs) is that a thing? Mine, landmines, road mines. There we go. Yeah. 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 Thank you. (laughs) Uh, But if they're in the road. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're road mines. That's what you meant. Uh (laughs) It's a car analogy. Keep talking. It was all very planned. Swerve. Um, but yeah, you know those things to to dodge, and someone junior uh, in a junior position is not going to know those things. And so, I don't think it's unreasonable for for someone to you know gain some benefit from that experience, and and that would often come in a monetary benefit. I think that makes sense. That's a big problem for me that I've just kind of started exploring more is the fact that I've gotten very efficient at a couple things. Um, like making NDAs or setting up single member companies. Um, and then it's, you know, if you bill by the hour and you're extremely efficient all of a sudden, um, you're disincentivized from being efficient. Um, it's not really fair to the clients that paid the higher rate of your hourly rate for, you know, however many years it took for you to hone it down until that's a thing. Did you know it's homing? Not honing, or you know, no. it's like a homing missile. So you you home like a, a it homes in. yeah it homes okay. in. Um, I recently googled that. So how, how does that impact road mines? Yeah, so you you home <laughs> into the road that you're looking for. Okay, and then that, you that, that makes sense. The, you take the landmine you got from the land <laughs> and you put it on the road. Yeah, uh-huh. isn't that weird? So you know, like making it more like efficient shouldn't be something that people paid for. And then now they don't have it doesn't seem quite fair either. But if you're strictly hourly, that's a thing that you're going to get confronted with. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and, and for me, like uh, I do the nature of some of the work I do requires a ton of copying and pasting, mm. which just sounds dumb. But like when I'm I'm pulling text over from a client's website and using that to craft ads you know, I'm just doing a ton of copying and pasting. And so I've, I've found a couple of tools and even had a developer friend of mine put together some, um, some little code snippets that make one of the tools particularly more valuable to me. And, you know, I've invested in this ability to do all of that faster. And if I'm, you know, charging by the hour, I, I, that would be foolish, right? Like I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, but that's not work. I p- particularly enjoy, like, I don't want to belabor you know, those menial tasks, I'd rather just knock them out for my own sanity and value of life. Um, but you know, the, the thought that that's going to come at the detriment of my bottom line is kind of silly too. Yeah. So how, how have you approached as you've gotten started? And I know this is fresh on your mind. Like when, when you like day one, how did you kind of assess what, and you do bill, bill by the hour, right? Yes, mostly. Yeah. How did you kind of assess what that rate needed to be? Yeah, that was interesting. Um, I asked a lot of uh, women colleagues with similar ish levels of experience uh, Mm -hmm. what they charged. And then I charged that exact thing. Um, And then about six months in, I it became really clear that we were all under charging aggressively, (laughs) um, which is interesting. Um, one of the ways in which it became clear was I had, you know, six years of experience and I had less than these ladies that I was patterning myself after. So I thought 
you know, that rate was high because they had more experience and that's what they're charging. But then um, a whole bunch of guys that were, you know, day one out of law school were charging you know, like 25% more uh, than that. And, and nobody was blinking an eye. So yeah, uh, I raised my rates pretty, pretty, I mean, a decent percentage uh, the first year. I think I should have raised them more, but the people I was working with talked me out of it. Um, but that's okay as well. <laughs> I, have, I have more time. So water under the bridge. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I read the uh, negotiation uh, r- psychology research indicates that an hourly rate that ends in five goes over better than one that ends in zero. Interesting. I considered that. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, you know, it's a rate, right? Like it's an hourly thing. And if you're not making enough money because of how long something takes you, you take longer to do it, which is part of the whole problem, but also allows the flexibility, which is exactly why what you were saying is so true. If, if you're, you have to have a lot more confidence to, to bill people in a not hourly rate. Cause when you have hourly, you have so much discretion to kind of like, you know, retract in or expand out as is appropriate. You know, my mind goes to of places where you can assess what your rate is on day one. If we're thinking of that, mm. talk to other freelancers. Yeah, that's like an obvious one. But um, figuring out, you know, in my mind figuring out some other service providers for what you offer. Yeah, like w- where could someone else, you know, fix their problem? If it's not through you, then through whom? Yes. In my world, that's perhaps an agency. So, you know, the thought that I would only price myself comparative to other freelancers, it could be short selling myself when compared to, you know, probably small agencies, if I'm being honest. Yes. A large agency might have more resources or or whatever than I have to offer. But um, that's certainly, you know, if, if clients are going to be getting two or three prices for their service, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I want to be a little under the agency, but not by much. Um, and then the, the other that I think often gets overlooked and one that I've tried to use as much as possible is just kind of value-based pricing. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is the solution to my client's problem worth? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what am I selling them? Like, is it, you know, pushing pixels on the computer <laughs> or is it, you know, am I actually solving a real problem for them that, that means some sort of impact on their bottom line? And if so, you know, what is that? What's the value of that? And so, um, to use an obvious example for a lot of my clients that are e-commerce, I can directly track like my ads led to this much revenue, you know? And so, um, the value of my service is, you know, some percentage of whatever that revenue is that I brought in. And so it's, it's often pretty obvious if, if that number is growing and looking good, then I can enter in those negotiations feeling a little better about expanding my rate. If it's not, you know, then I, then that's pretty obvious. Um, maybe just sustaining is, is a win yeah. when it comes time to, to renew an agreement or start a new project. That's interesting. And that's one way it, I hadn't really thought about that before, but that is probably also helpful in how you're able to bill your clients. Because for me, um, I am saving people so much darn money (laughs) when they actually use me Mm -hmm. it's unbelievable the amount of like huge issues that would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in litigation that are like avoided in one minute of of time of talking to an attorney but you you know they don't even really know that maybe much less appreciate it so um i certainly don't have like an obvious metric to show them 
Yeah, that makes sense. And it's hard because it's you're measuring up against oftentimes opportunity cost. Yeah, I, I guess. Right. Like if you don't do this, you could get, you know, in legal trouble down the road. Yeah. But it's it's not like a legal trouble is absolutely going to happen if you don't do this. Yeah. And it's kind of like insurance. Like how I need to probably research how insurance people sell insurance because but I'm sure it's fear based, which is not really what I'm into. Um, right, sure. but yeah, cause it's the same kind of thing. It's you're, you're providing a visible intangible result that you can demonstrate and be like, I provided this value. It was clearly paid for itself next issue. But I have to say, Ooh, you haven't been sued yet. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. They would maybe take it better if I didn't say it that way. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Like, You've got your Halloween soundtrack <laughs> CD going on. Yeah, there's. I have this chain that like jingle in the background. <laughs> the dry eyes coming from your desk. Um, well, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, kind of raising your rates after you got started. What What are some of the things that signified you, uh, signaled to you, like, hey, it's time to revisit what I'm charging. How How am I approaching that? So uh, I could count on no hands the amount of time that people have like said, that seems high. Can you do lower than that for your hourly rate? <laughs> I mean, I suspect that that some people maybe just never called me back or something. But uh, I think I'm so low on the, the market pendulum because of my low overhead that most of the time I get the impression that when people reach out to me, they get pricing, they go away for a couple of weeks, they, they come back. And, and frankly, I've learned um, that the people who, yeah, <laughs> the people who that weeds out are people you wanted to weed out anyways. So yeah, that was the biggest finding that made me realize that it takes a while. It just takes a while of, of putting it out there and having people pay you that amount. Because as soon as you have critical mass of people paying you your hourly rate, then if somebody asks you to do the same thing for lower, you're like, no, I... <laughs> I can make this much per hour. That's how much my hour is worth. Why would I do it for less than that? Um, that's money out of my pocket type of thing. So I think it just takes a little bit of experience and having a bunch of people on board uh, with your rate doesn't seem to be an issue at all. I think the biggest thing is to keep your invoices when you're, if you are billing hourly, to keep them from being a surprise and to just force yourself to talk about it a lot. And sometimes clients are uncomfortable talking about it. So then you have to force yourself to say every time, usually this takes me this many hours or they want me to do this extra thing. Just so you know, so far I'm 10 hours into this. Um, that way they're, they're not like, good Lord, when they open their invoice. Cause that's the, the smack in the face feeling you want to avoid that people are afraid of when they sign up to be billed hourly. Yeah. That's just like a, a customer um, service kind of thing, yeah. right? Like you, you never want your clients surprised by invoices. And that's that's great advice as far as just the quick and easy check-ins that are so much easier to have on the front end than the back end. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And honestly, I've been looking for a new accountant for this different change that the firm is taking in January. And um, I have to admit, there was an accountant who said, oh, you know, I bill hourly and, it, you know, it takes the amount of time it takes. 
And then another one that said, I have a flat fee approach. And it wasn't even a thought. I went with the flat fee so fast. Mm -hmm. It was like, <laughs> and I, and I'm here being the one that I didn't choose, you know? So yeah, clearly I need to uh, augment or change my um, process. Yeah. I think you alluded to this earlier and we've talked about this in prior episodes, but there is this life cycle of a freelance career, you know, where you're, where you're getting started and maybe depending on how junior you are, you're just doing work for free, Yeah, you know, just to build your resume or uh, build your portfolio. And then at some point, you know, the pendulum swings a bit and people are willing to pay you some amount of money for that. And often at that point in time, you're talking about small hourly rates that are not, you know, not necessarily something you're going to make a living off of, but it's better than doing it for free. And then as you grow your book of business, as you get more clients, as you mentioned earlier, as you start to get some sort of critical mass of clients that are willing to pay you something, then all of a sudden it becomes that much easier to ask the next client to pay you that much or more, you know, and you, you start working your way up that ladder Yes, and you get to a point where, you know, you get so emboldened where you're saying, okay, you know, I don't take clients that pay me less than X or that want an agreement that's less than X months long you know, whatever those kind of parameters are, this is where my floor is. And, you know, I'm shooting above that. And it becomes easy to to guard against that when you have clients that are, you know, abiding by it and, and living in that space. And that helps a lot, um, I think, and, and probably shouldn't be overlooked because getting there is not easy. But once you're there, you all of a sudden have a lot more confidence in how you approach that. And from my perspective, you know, I kind of learned Man, if I could have faked this on the front end, this, this confidence. Oh, totally. Like I, people respond and it's counterintuitive to a freelancer in your own mind because you're dealing with your own like self-doubt and yeah, your own imposter syndrome and all that kind of stuff. But if if you could just fake it on the front end and be like, hey, I'm confident. This is I've done this enough times. This is what it's worth or this is how much it's going to be. Um, then then you know, clients often respond to that confidence in a very positive way. And yes, I, I don't know about you. You kind of alluded to that this might be in the case, but I actually went through a season where I kept raising my rates, like looking for that. No, mm -hmm. looking for the like, oh, my gosh, that's too high and kept not finding it. Yeah, <laughs> so, which was like awesome, but bittersweet at the same time, because you realized because you had left so much money on the table in the interim. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, I could have been charging, you know, X percent more this whole time and just didn't have the, you know, the the guts to ask for it. Yeah, that's very real. Um, but I, I mean, is there a way to manufacture that, you think, or do you just have to have the experience? You know, in, in my I think the experience helps a lot and probably is going to feel more organic. I've I've met some people that have this unique ability to BS that come in. And can confidently, without hesitation, promise the world yes. of something that there's no way they're going to be able to, to deliver, right. you know, and, and they're just that kind of person. And I think that endangers this process that we're talking about, because, um, you know, one, I think you're setting unrealistic expectations for the project that you then have to go fulfill. But, um, you know, I, th I think most freelancers though could probably raise their rates by some significant percentage and no one would mind you know if you, if you're doing good work for people and you're calling people back and treating your business like a legit business you know what's 
what's another 20% or something like that, right? Like, um, most clients aren't going to, uh, rebel against that too strongly, especially if you handle, you know, the pricing, um, increases responsibly. I completely agree. What do you mean by handling the, uh, increases responsibly? Yeah, I just, um, for me, it's approaching them when my agreements renew, but it's not only that, um, I have several agreements that renew at the end of this year that I'm already having conversations about now. And, and to me, that's part of that. You know, I, I reach out and say, Hey, we're, we're 60 days. We're, we're 30 days away from this happening. Like, I'd love to have a conversation. I want to go ahead and like plant the seed in your mind so you can be thinking about it and we can make sure that, you know, whatever we do next is what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes I, I will, you know, as a part of planting that seed, so there's no surprises, go ahead and, and say, just so you know, my minimums now for new clients look like X, like you're well below that, you know, um, so maybe I want to get you some percentage of the way there. Maybe I want to get you to there, right. you know, um, you know, whatever the implications are of the fact that your, your minimums are now X, um, often it's client specific, you know, the implications are, but, um, if it's a client that I love working with that pays timely, yada, 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 then, you know, maybe there's more flexibility there than if you're just like, these guys aren't a fun client, but you know, but they pay. So, um, then maybe, and perhaps too, it's a matter of like, if you, what the, what the prospect list looks like, right? Like, I mean, if you've had, if you've got several, you know, warm leads on your, on your plate that you could uh, get aggressive and, and turning those into something, then maybe you're more bold about, um, asking your clients to, you know, to step up at what your new level is. Uh, without as much fear of of perhaps losing them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't know. I'm still I still get nervous thinking about having that conversation of like, hey, I'm raising my rates. Um, but also, you have fewer, bigger clients, and I have manyer, many more uh, mm-hmm. small clients. And so for me, even just having those conversations with people would like take a month uh, to communicate it. So yeah. Yeah. I'm even weird about, I think my first couple of clients that I got when I first started, those for whatever reason have been the hardest for me to, to do something with. I don't know if it's nostalgia or, um, or they're like represent some sort of safety net in my, uh, my lizard brain or whatever, you know? (laughs) Um, but it's, those have been the hardest and which sucks because they're, you know, they got the earliest rates. So, you know, they're, yeah, uh, they're not my most profitable clients. I bet so many people do that because I definitely do that as well. I'm like, th- th- like I keep it the same initial, very low rate. Several of my first clients who don't care. I mean, they can't care. Like sitting here, I know they probably wouldn't even notice if I changed my rate. And you just mention it and be like, Hey, we haven't worked together. And you know, some number of months, like things have changed since then. They'd probably be fine with it still. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause I haven't really thought about the fact that that's, that's true of me until we're (laughs) sitting here talking because uh, I guess in my mind, it's like, well, if everything else goes to pot, I've at least got these clients, you know? (laughs) So like, I don't, I don't want to do anything to rock the boat with them because that's so funny. I must think the same thing. That's wild. Like, I mean, in my case, some of these are, uh, like big companies and Mm -hmm. they don't care, (laughs) you know, Yeah, it would not make a difference, but yet 
I don't know. I feel like I, they're an old friend or something. They need the old friend discount. Right. Yeah. They took a, they took a gamble on you and yeah. no one else would. They probably didn't know it was a gamble. Only <laughs> I knew it was a gamble. They're like, I don't know. She's dirt cheap, but. Like, <laughs> what do we have to lose? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what kind of things have you found? Like when you hear no's, what is that? Uh, how does that play out? Like, do you, you mentioned earlier, like people will just like, maybe ghost you yes. where they're going out and probably shopping your price around. Yes. Um, you mentioned not having anyone come back to you trying to negotiate a lower price. Correct. Um, have you found any lessons as far as, you know, those type, the types of clients that, um, behave certain ways? Yeah. I, um, try to be better at not babying my clients. Like I used to those, those initial, like the, the subset, which we call them like, legacy clients or something yeah there you so go. legacy clients um you know they, you treat them special you always respond to them they're like i need this now and you put everything aside and you do it and even, instead of saying why do you need this now why don't you just give me more time um the legacy client behavior i have had the opportunity to take on the books of business of other lawyers in the last couple of years and when i've done that I have to deal with their legacy clients who've been babied. Mm. And I'm like, I don't care about you in the same way that I care about my own. You don't have that emotional connection. No. And I'm like, you're just a real pain. Like, I like, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to like barely charge you for any of the work I do and respond to your phone calls and emails at all times of the night. And you don't appreciate that it's an inordinately bending over backwards type of behavior. Um, and so now that I've done that, I realize that I have a responsibility for my own clients to not make them into these, um, spoiled <laughs> youngest children, <laughs> uh, of clients. That's such an interesting wrinkle to that discussion we were just having of, of just yeah. like what that looks like when you remove the emotional bond. Yeah. It's awful. It's a horrible, <laughs> like somebody whoever gets your, you know, your legacy clients next. If somebody ever um, is after you, they're going to be like, these people suck. <laughs> like They want everything on a dime um, and they're not even grateful. Uh, so I don't know. That's Gosh. something to keep in mind for sure. And having dealt with that, it makes me I, like I have taken on no new legacy clients. Yeah. In that amount of time. And, and when I do, I try to be really good about being like, I'll do this for you this time, but like, this is not typical and I'm not going to do it again. You've got to give me more time. Um, you've got to give me more information. Do you feel like you, you've gotten better at spotting those people? Yes. Like, yeah. Aggressively. So, but not completely better. It, here's what I need to do. And it's, it's just got to be done with having as many clients as I have now in number is I have to implement, um, like expedited pricing, uh, in the new yeah. year. Like I absolutely have to, because it's just too often that like five people need something expedited in one day. And that's a very possible, I mean, that's common, frankly. And then you can imagine a circumstance very easily when that becomes 10. So incentivizing my clients to give me more heads up by saying, if you need something in, you know, the next 48 hours or something, it's going to cost you uh 30% more mm -hmm. that would really help my workflow a lot. 
That probably is a really interesting tool that would give you insight into what your base rate should be too. That's a good point. If you have clients willing to pay you that 30% Ooh. on the reg, then you probably know that like... You should just like increase all your bases by 30% and then yeah. do it. That is such a good point. That's what I'm going to do. That is absolutely what I'm going to do is I'm going to increase it by 30% for expedited and then I'm going to watch that. And if it doesn't have the intended effect on um, people and they don't, uh, it doesn't chill their behavior of reaching out at all times of the day and night for immediate turnaround, then yeah, I'm going to increase it by at least that amount. That's a really good idea. I like that. One of the things that I struggled with probably early on was uh, accepting some level of responsibility for my client's situation. Okay. Meaning, you know, my client really wants to use me, but can't afford me or just had this partner leave the business. So everything's kind of a mess. And so, you know, insert a number of a dozen reasons why I need to do things differently on my end to accommodate their situation. Yeah. And if, if you're not someone that loves doing sales, which I've, I've, um, clearly labeled myself as one of those people, mm-hmm. then you get into the sales process with someone and you, you feel like you've got this like sunk cost fallacy situation going on, you know, where you're like, I've got so much time invested in this. Like, I just want to, at this point, I just want to close it. Like, I just want to get this project or whatever. And then you end up kind of bending backwards to accommodate yeah. other people's needs. And one of the things I've, I've realized about myself as I've you know, been emboldened by the fact that my book of business has grown and, you know, have clients that treat me and behave a certain way is to um, accept less of that. And it, well, I maybe say it this way. I, if I do accept it, it's knowingly. Okay. I realize what I'm doing where like, you know, sometimes it's, it's a legitimate thing. It's someone that I know and it's something that I I'm okay to make those concessions. Okay. But, um, if it's a stranger, if there's not like an emotional connection, if it's not a project I'm excited about, you know, any, any number of other red flags, then I've, I've gotten pretty good at, at kind of stepping away from those situations and not making their problem my problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I know this sounds like so basic, but, um, that was a big deal with me being able to take electronic payment because if you're only taking cash and you're setting up businesses, you, you make their problems, your problems pretty quick, because part of the oh, things yeah. that I tell them to do is to not use their personal funds to pay for <laughs> company expenses. <laughs> and so then I have to wait while they figure everything out. Um, so, you know, the credit thing, may, I guess it doesn't make it their problem as much as it makes the credit card company's problem. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, not taking that on is essential. It is it is not if you don't take it on, they'll find a way to pay you. In my perspective, if it starts this early, yeah, you know, if these things are happening before you have really like built a relationship with them, it's only going to get worse. That is so true from from that perspective. So um, being able to sidestep that will save you a lot of uh, heartache. What's the biggest mistake you've made in pricing? I mean, I think the legacy client thing is a real thing. Um, I think that... I've got a couple of clients that have kind of found themselves grandfathered in from the standpoint of like, in fact, I think I have two that fall in this category that I don't really have like proper agreements with things like maybe I did at the very beginning or maybe I, I you know, my first client, I just never did, yeah. you know, uh, cause it felt like more of a test case than, <laughs> than anything at the time. 
and and I just have gotten in a real rhythm where I just I don't have these agreements and stuff with them and and um you know great clients pay timely you know bring work uh it's you know with one of them in particular it's kind of this great relationship because I don't have to do all of the you know the administrative agreements and back office paperwork kind of stuff for them you know like um my work just kind of you know comes ebbs and flows uh yeah. as their business does and and it's been great but like the you know they could all bail tomorrow and and then leave a hole yeah you know um and so i th- I think as we were talking earlier i um feel some level of of conviction or whatever that that maybe in 2019 it would be a good time to step into those situations and just say hey i'm starting the the year off on a better foot like i would like to you know, get something in place for you from an agreement perspective, just to outline our, you know, uh, agreement. Cause in, in the agreement that you put together, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a future show, it has, has a lot more to it than just the payment terms, right? Like it yes. outlines, you know, the nature of our working relationship and, and has some implications well beyond getting paid. And so, um, if for no other reason, those reasons, then it still would be wise to do, even if, you know, it's left in other, other regards, fairly open-ended to keep the flexibility and the good nature of our working relationship. But yeah, that's certainly, um, a big one. I think the other one is, is really what I mentioned before is kind of making, um, other people's financial burdens mine. Like uh, finding myself kind of adopting those, um, when I really shouldn't. Yeah, that's fair. Cause especially with you in the way that you, um, can be integrated more as like a integral team member Mm -hmm. that can be can be hard yeah i think in the beginning too i was really aggressive about getting those six and 12 month deals because i wanted that stability i wanted that you know whatever um i've had a couple that have fallen in that category in fact i have one now they're like i'd love to just part ways with yeah (laughs) like and and now i'm kind of in the situation where i'm gonna let it play out and uh, i've had to do it over again i i would i would have not taken them and so that, you know, to me, that to some degree means like, you know, I should, I should be looking for the door. That's <laughs> now. probably true. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't come to the, I mean, I, I know my agreement gives me the right to, you know, to step out early if I wanted to. I haven't, I haven't gone that far yet just because I, I did make that commitment to them. And unless something egregious happened, I probably wouldn't back out on it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to renew it. Yeah. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> I'm considering changing my pricing to be more like yours and trying to figure out how to make that leap from from hourly to more subscription based. I mean, I think it just has to be something that I actually provide as an option and see who opts in type of thing. Yeah. Well, I think in your world too, you could say, hey, first of the year, my pricing's going up. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to do a retainer or whatever the terminology should be uh, from your perspective. Yeah. Um, then you can keep your same pricing or, you know, do something like that where it Ooh, that's smart. Yeah. Gives them some sort of advantage to consider it. I like that. And, you know, if, if it's someone that's given you so many hours each month anyways, maybe they they get the first so many hours at the discounted rate, but then special access to some other rate moving forward or something, you know. Ooh. Like first priority for um the expedited work or something, you know. Yeah. 
You know what I'm just now realizing I should do for the first time, and I've been mulling this over for a very long time, but based on your insight, I think I should probably look at my clients who have pretty regular needs um, and then average the amount of legal services that they require per month. Mm -hmm. It will be so off because some months are so much heavier than others, but be able to say to them, Last year, you know, you paid for an average of so many months, uh, so many hours per month uh, at this rate. <laughs> My rates are going up. If you want to keep this rate, you know, commit to that, use it or lose it um, each month and we can go from there. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, it makes I think a lot of businesses and, and maybe this is helpful. I, I forget where I heard this, but in a B2B world, um, which is a lot of what we're talking about here, I think. Um, someone was saying that businesses spend money for one of two reasons. They spend money to reduce the amount of costs they have, hmm. or they spend money to increase the, their capability of making money. Hmm. And like, when I look at it through those, that lens, when I, you know, and especially like if I'm engaged with, um, you know, my clients or businesses, but in particular, when I'm working with uh, other agencies and, and white labeling for them, that's absolutely the case, right? Like, you know, they could go hire someone to do what I do, but like, uh, if they don't have full-time amount of work, they're absolutely just saying like, Hey, we could hire Rob for part-time cost, which is all we need. Oh, okay. So you're saving them money and making them money. Yeah. So it's like a double whammy in, yeah. that, in that situation. And, and because you've got managers, you've got budgets, you've got other chains of approval, yeah. like, you know, oftentimes someone else is looking over the shoulder of whoever you're talking to. And so like all the decisions have to be quote unquote logical um, versus like if you're dealing directly with a small business owner, oftentimes they can, you know, choose to do whatever the heck they want to because they don't have that same level of accountability. Yeah. Um, they can, they have the freedom to be emotional, I guess would be a good way to say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and you know, from that perspective, if you can craft something that you can go and present to them to say, Hey, this makes logical sense to do this, Yeah. you know, then I would be surprised if a lot of them said no, because, you know, I think it would be, it would look good to their manager or whoever yeah. they're reporting to, to be like, Oh, look at, you know, look what we did here. We saved money. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I don't think that'll work for, for everybody or for most of my clients, but I think there's a few whom it will. And having anybody, I guess you have everybody locked down on a subscription basis, but having anyone locked down on a subscription basis is a huge boon to your budget and your ability to move forward um, with some level of predictability. So, yeah. And I think the narrative makes a lot of sense, right? Like there's only one of you, yeah. you've only got so much time and like you have clients that have come to expect a certain level of service from you, yep. which you're happy to continue providing. But to do that, like you need to be able to set time aside and know a little bit more predictively, like how much work you're dealing with, Yeah, you know? And, and so I, th I think for a lot of clients, I would hear that and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, this isn't some skeezy upsell, like you know, I really just want to keep my spot in line Yeah. as far as level of priority. And, and so from that perspective, I'm willing to pay for that. Well, mind blown <laughs> plan made. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, have, I have one other note too. Yeah. I know we're going long. Um, in my world, there is a ton of influence from like the fibers of the world. Oh yeah. Where you're being compared to 
like the lowest common denominator yeah. of whatever it is that you offer. Um, and so I, I get that comes up a lot in conversations when, when I meet with freelancers and one of the, the one piece of advice I would give to that is, is like consider ways to keep yourself from becoming a commodity. Cause like, I mean, honestly, you put yourself on Fiverr, you've become a commodity, right? Like yeah. your, your, your goods and services are based nothing uh, on nothing more but price. And that's not where you want to be. Oh, I'm going to jump in and just say that that's up counsel, which is uh, like a fiver for lawyers. Um, okay. It's really brutal. Yeah. I think I've downloaded some, some forms from their site. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, what I often encourage people to do and it very much relates to this pricing is, is find some love, some niche, some vertical of expertise. Like as freelancers, we might only need a handful of clients, yeah. right? Like, 10 clients and I'm good to go. Like you, you need more, but perhaps in a retainer world, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so like if you can find like, uh, I have one client that's, um, that is in the healthcare healthcare space and then like a very niched area of the healthcare space where there's maybe like 12, you know, things across the country that do what they do. Right. Yeah. And, and so like, uh, I see a situation like that, have experience in that space where it makes me want to say, what if I could do what I do just for like for those 12 hospitals yeah. or those 12 doctor's units or 12, you know, machinery, uh, manufacturers, like whatever, you know, yeah. and, and be the specialist in that area. Um, I think when you start thinking in those kind of terms, maybe the work, the quality of the work kind of diminishes a little bit because what you're doing is a little, becomes a little bit more repetitive. Yeah. It's not like constantly a new thing, but what you can charge for it. I think starts to take a completely different turn because like no one knows that industry. Like, you know, that industry. Yeah. And when you start thinking in, in terms of that, it starts to, you know, cause there's some reality, right. That if you become a celebrity, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. an on, an online entity, like so people know you for whatever that's this thing is yeah. that you're doing, then like your prices aren't constrained by the same, factors. You know, it's not like, well, I could go get this agency over here that can do it for less. Like, yeah, fine. Go get them. Like I'm the person for this, you know, like, um, you're not, we're not comparing apples to apples in this situation. And so I think when you can start thinking that way, you start seeing an opportunity beyond that glass ceiling of, of what you can charge rate wise. I think that's really a point. Yeah. It, it changes it. I, I am just reluctant to do that. Um, because I love, knowing about a bunch of different spaces, but I know Mm -hmm. that I would be better off if I were able to restrict myself to a particular niche area. And recently I have started saying no to things that are out, you know, that that normally I would have thought I can learn enough about this to include it because I I do think I have enough uh, things in my scope um, now (laughs) that I shouldn't take any additional ones on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard. And it, it, I I think your point is well received as far as just the, it is a quality of life thing as a freelancer. You have the freedom to say like, you know, what's more important, like doing cool projects or making a little more money. If you can do both. Great. Yeah, that's it. Well, (laughs) Um, I had somebody reach out who is a listener of the, of this, the show and they, um, just went out on their own a month or two ago. And she was like, have so many opportunities to do so many things and I, I just can't narrow it down and I know I need to, but I just don't know what, how did you choose? And I, was like, I responded like, don't choose, just do all of it. <laughs> <laughs> you can, that never happens. Enjoy it. 
um, you know, because eventually she'll narrow it down. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, that kind of happens almost organically yeah. if you don't if you don't make it happen. Yeah. You're really good about continuing to explore new things and you keep those doors open in a way that I think is unique. Thank you. It's probably inadvisable. Mm-hmm. But I do get a kick out of it. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, good talk. I think I learned a lot from you per usual. Likewise. <laughs> well, what if somebody wants to you know, see our show notes or something? Yes, that is a great question. They can visit unfederated.studio. Mm, that's interesting. I hope they go to it because there are good show notes. On there. Yeah, and this is episode 18. So if you want to go to unfederated.studio slash 18, I'll take you right there. Whoa, that's specific deal. All right. Anything else, brother? That's all I got. Oh, good to talk to you. Yep. You too. Okay. See you next week. Yep. See you next week. Bye.